The first reading is Acts chapter 2, verses 29 to 41. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you, you confident, I can tell you confidently, the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptised, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. The second reading is from 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 to 14. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given one spirit to drink. And so the body is not made up of one part, but of many. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I would normally say, keep that passage open in front of you. Um, but those are two of several readings I could easily have chosen for this morning, and I am going to draw from various different places. So they're not bad places to have open in front of you. You can decide whether you will uh, prefer just to listen uh, or whether you'd like to sort of flick around and find things as I am speaking about them. And we will have some slides on the screen, which Janet's going to put up for us now as well, which will uh, enable us to see some of those uh, different bits when we get to them. Uh, Repent and be baptised, every one of you. Um, that's the words of Peter that we just heard in that first reading on the day of Pentecost, speaking to the crowds in Jerusalem as people begin to respond to the gospel of Jesus after his resurrection for the first time. Uh, in the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, what shall we do is the question they ask. And Peter says, repent 
and be baptized. And on that very day, as uh, you will have just heard and as you may well know, that's exactly what happened. That 3,000 people came to faith and were baptized, as far as we can tell, then and there. Of course, that's what Jesus said we should do when he sent his disciples out in the, those very last verses at the end of Matthew's Gospel, when he's up on the mountain with them and he says to them, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. That's the instruction that he gives. And it's always been the task of the church to do those things. And it still is today. Uh, whenever we have a baptism at St. Luke's, we're doing what Peter and the others did. We're taking water and we're claiming the promises of Jesus in the name of the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Uh, what does this mean for us? Uh, well, we're going to leave some of the practical questions about the how and the when uh, that we baptise people for next week and start today with some of the basics of what baptism is all about. And I want to say to us four things, that baptism is visible, it's first, it's one, and it's one. So first of all, baptism is visible. Uh, St. Augustine, uh, famously, back in the, the 5th century, said this about the sacraments in general. He described a sacrament like baptism as an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible grace. In other words, my baptism shows visibly to everyone what has happened to me spiritually, uh, invisibly, by the power of the Holy Spirit when Jesus saved me. It's not that I was saved by the water being poured on me uh, when I was baptised, but my baptism with water is the visible confirmation, uh, the demonstration of the promises of God to me. Uh, as you, uh, you may know, uh, the Church of England's uh, understanding of faith comes, it will come from various places. Uh, one of them is this document called the 39 Articles of Religion. And uh, Article 27, which speaks about baptism, says this. They that receive baptism rightly are grafted into the church. The promises of the forgiveness of sins and our adoption to be the sons of God are visibly signed and sealed. I want to say that word rightly is crucial there in what happens at baptism. Uh, because anyone who's read the New Testament, you know, listen to the words of Jesus and, and what his apostles have said, will know the only way to be saved, the only way to receive forgiveness is by faith. I mean, that is drummed into us again and again in the New Testament, isn't it? Faith in Jesus. Receiving baptism rightly means receiving Jesus by faith and having the water as a sign of that. When that happens, it's a powerful symbol. Um, but of course, for the person who is baptised when they don't actually believe at all, uh, and therefore receive it falsely, baptism does nothing for them. Uh, in fact, it testifies against them. And that makes sense, doesn't it? You know, if the water could save people uh, on its own and in and of itself, there would be no need for sharing the gospel, would there? You know, how would we invest our, our funds as a church in, um, in evangelism, well, we just need to buy a bigger hose pipe, basically, wouldn't we? And just spray the population of Thurnby in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's where you end up if, uh, if, you, if you take a kind of operative uh, understanding of baptism like that. That's not how it works. But it is an outward and visible sign of an inward and invisible reality. I want to say that doesn't mean that baptism is unimportant, though. Uh, that's... Um, kind of the other end of the spectrum to which we can go if we're not careful. In some ways, it's a bit like a marriage certificate. 
uh, which some of you will have. Uh, my marriage certificate, which is somewhere in a drawer or a filing cabinet in my house. I think I know where it is. It's the proof, isn't it, that I am married to Claire. It's the documentary evidence. It does matter. There have been various times over the years when one of us has needed to produce it um, to show that we are indeed married. But that certificate is not our marriage, is it? You know, the marriage is the living relationship between two people uh, to which the piece of paper, which we've signed in the presence of witnesses, just points. And we might say that in a similar way, my baptism is important like the marriage certificate. It's the sign and the seal of my salvation in Jesus Christ. It's the public demonstration that I am saved by faith in him. As Paul says in Galatians 3, uh, in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Baptism is the visible confirmation of what Christ has done for us. Now, when you have a visible symbol, of course, the question you always need to ask is, well, what does it symbolize? And we're used to this, aren't we? You know, if we have a tap with a red spot on it. We know that means the water is going to be hot. You know, if someone is wearing a football shirt with a fox on it, that tells you they support Leicester City. Uh, we have all kinds of symbols in, in everyday life all the time, don't we? And we're used to what they do. The symbol involved in baptism is, of course, water. And, we look, and when we look at the New Testament, it seems that it works in at least two different ways. The first of those is that water is about washing. It's about washing. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, which is a bit of a, a tricky chapter to understand in some ways, uh, but in the context of the symbolism of baptism, Peter says this, speaking to the people who were saved through water in Noah's ark. He says this, This water symbolizes the baptism that saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. And then in Ephesians 5, verse 26, as I put there on the screen, Paul describes how Christ gave himself up for the church by washing her with water through the word. Baptism is a symbol of washing. Um, we wash ourselves with water in the morning, don't we? You know, I take it on faith that that's what you've done this morning before uh, you came to church in one way or another. Um, we, and uh, we, we, you know, we get in the shower or in the bath and it gets rid of the dirt that's on us. When we are washed in the waters of baptism, it is making visible how Jesus has washed away our sin uh, by the work of his Holy Spirit. Uh, and uh, when we come to Christ, that is a powerful symbol of the change that has occurred within us. Uh, that's the first way that the, the symbolism works, uh, particularly apparent when water is poured over someone at baptism. The other way that it works uh, is that water is representative of death and resurrection in baptism. Uh, Paul says in Romans 6, we were buried with him in baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. That kind of going down and rising again is particularly apparent when baptism happens by full immersion. Someone is kind of dunked, literally, and then rises up out of the water again. I mean, it's brilliant, isn't it, when we stop to think about it? That sense that in going under the water, we're, we're, it is showing how we are included somehow in Jesus' death. So that as we burst out again through the surface, we are included in his resurrection. We have that life. So, that's the first thing. Baptism is visible. It's an outward sign of what God is doing for us on the inside. Uh, these are things that our baptism 
demonstrates. However it was done, at whatever stage of our lives and with however much water. Mine was done in a font in a church when I was a baby. Um, you may have been the same. You may have had uh, a baptism later on in life. My baptism says that I am washed clean by the death of Christ and that having died with him, I'm now raised to life. Praise the Lord. Secondly, baptism is first. Secondly, it's first. Maybe I should have put that one first. But when I say that, what I mean is this. Baptism comes first. It's the sign, the sacrament, which exists to mark the beginning of new life, the beginning of the Christian life. And we heard in in our Acts reading, didn't we, how the people who heard Peter's words about Jesus, uh, and they responded to his message by asking what they should do, and his answer was, repent and be baptised. And around 3,000 people were added to their number that day. Now that is just the first example of many. If you know the book of Acts, uh, that description of what happened in those early days of the church, this pattern is pretty much unmissable as we go through the book. You might think of the Ethiopian man riding in his chariot in Acts chapter 8, reading from Isaiah, and Philip explains the gospel to him. And he understands that his salvation comes through Jesus, and he sees some water, and he stops the chariot, and he says, well, can't I just be baptised now? And that's what happens. Uh, Or you might think of Cornelius in, in Acts chapter 10, the first Gentile Christian in his household. And after Peter has been spoken to in a vision by the Lord, it's very clear that Cornelius is filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter says, surely there's nothing to stop this man being baptized. And he baptizes him in his household. And there's Paul himself, of course, um, the dramatic encounter on the road to Damascus. And when he gets to Damascus, one of the first things that Ananias, who he meets, does does, is baptize him. Uh, Or you might read chapter 16, when Paul is himself sharing the gospel in the city of Philippi. And first of all, he meets Lydia, who responds to the message, and and she is baptised. And then there's the jailer, who locks Silas and Paul up in prison. And for all the events that happen in the work of the Spirit, he comes to faith, and immediately he and his whole household are baptised. In the New Testament, when someone becomes a Christian, it seems there's always one response. Quick, get the water. There's no example of someone being told, it's great that you've come to faith, but you're probably not quite ready for baptism yet, as if that's something for more advanced Christians, or you need to um, have a special amount of learning or something before you're baptised. When the Holy Spirit brings someone to repentance, the first thing that Peter mentioned, the flip side of this is that they are then baptised as soon as it's practical. It's the sign that someone has joined Jesus' family and is now to be regarded as part of his church. Um, That's why the font is, in many churches, you may well know this, the traditional place for the font in in a church is near the main entrance, near the main door. It's not very practical in St. Luke's. I'm not quite sure where we'd put it over there. But in quite a lot of churches, that is still the case. And it's there as a kind of symbol that the way we come into the church is through baptism. It's the sign of what Jesus has done and our faith in him. It's our sacrament of initiation, of joining the people of God. Baptism comes first. Uh, Thirdly, uh, baptism is one, or there is one baptism. And this is really important. Uh, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to one hope when you are called, writes Paul in Ephesians 4. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. 
And in the second reading that we heard Janet read a moment ago, 1 Corinthians 12, he says, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Who are we to regard as being part of God's family? Uh, Who do we include in his church? The answer is everyone who is baptized, all the baptized. That's the sign that Jesus has given us, that someone is one of his. Now, again, I know what really counts is the inward response, isn't it? And baptism doesn't tell us that. Of course, it's possible that someone may be baptized without having faith. And of course, if someone has faith and for whatever reason their baptism hasn't happened yet, it doesn't mean they're not part of the church yet. Uh, Only God can see our hearts. Uh, And uh, and as Jesus warned us, there will be both weeds and wheat uh, growing in the kingdom, in his church, until he returns to sort it all out. But for the time being, the symbol he has given us to say, this person belongs to my people, it is baptism. And we're all baptised into one body. We say that in our communion services, don't we? Uh, In other words, the body of Christ is those who are baptised. It's not for some Christians, we're all baptised into one body. The New Testament would not recognise the category of a Christian who doesn't get baptised. The only possible reason for that being the case is that it just hasn't happened yet. And we're baptised into the body of Christ. When you were baptised, your baptism didn't make you a member of St Luke's church or of whatever church it was that you were a part of if your baptism took place elsewhere. It made you a member of the Church of Jesus Christ down through the ages and around the world. Uh, You may have been baptised in this building. Is there anyone here who was baptised at St Luke's? Everyone. No, everyone baptised elsewhere. Maybe you were baptised in another Church of England church. Anybody baptised in the Church of England? Um, Anybody baptised in a different denomination? Maybe maybe in a Baptist church or a Roman Catholic church, Pentecostal church, whatever it may have been. Uh, There is one baptism. If you were baptised in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit with water, uh, when you made St Luke's church your home, you didn't need to be baptised again because baptism is not the sign of our local membership. It's the sign that we are part of the worldwide people of God. It's one baptism uh, and baptism is one. And then the last thing for today I want to say is that baptism is once. It's our symbol of initiation, it's our starting point, and you can't be initiated into something twice. When you're in, you're in. So it's not repeatable. Uh, To ask to be baptised again uh, is a category mistake. It doesn't make sense. Uh, Imagine you've come to my house uh, to see me, and you've rung the doorbell. Um, The dog's probably barked at you, my apologies for that. Uh, But I've let you in, Uh, we're we're sitting in the living room and we've got a cup of tea and we're sitting down, we're having a conversation and then you say to me something like, you know, I I feel like I still need to come into your house. Um, Could you let me in? I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to say that, does it? If you've been baptised once, you don't need to be baptised again. That's not how the symbol functions, it's not what it means. Now, I know this bothers people sometimes. It is quite important, which is why I wanted to say something about it this morning. Um, People often ask good and important questions about this, and I take them seriously. They're asking things like, when I look back, I'm not sure I was really a Christian when I was baptised. So does it count? Or, I was baptised as a baby, and so I didn't even understand the gospel then. So shouldn't I be baptised after I've believed? Uh, Or maybe, I've just not been living a good life. Um, And although I was baptised, I want to make a a new commitment 
and so shouldn't I be baptized again? Now, I'm very aware that as I begin to talk about these things, not all churches take exactly the same approach to this today. And we will say a little bit more about some of that next week. I'm not going to duck it. I'm going to delay some of it. But I will give you my short answer today, which is basically this. If you've been baptized, yes, it counts. You've been baptized. And you don't need to be baptized again. And the reason is what we've already said about baptism being that outward and visible sign of the inward and invisible reality. Now, we're brought into Jesus' family by faith. Uh, we receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That cannot be seen. That is his work in our hearts. The sign of this is our baptism with water. We need both of those things. Uh, they are both important. Peter said, repent and be baptized. They go together, faith and baptism. At the end of that reading in Acts 2, the people who respond, we're told, do two things. They accept Peter's message, verse 41. That's the faith. And they were baptized. Faith is how we receive the promises of Jesus. And baptism is the symbol that we've been included in his family. So here's the thing I would want to say. If, if you've had the baptism, and your reflection now is that although you had the baptism, you didn't have the faith, what you need now is not another baptism. It's the faith to go with your baptism. Then you have both. Uh, it may be that there is someone sitting here this morning and you were baptised as a child or maybe earlier on in your life as an adult. And when you look back, you think, I don't know what I believed then. I'm not quite sure if I'd really sorted out whether I believed in Jesus or not. Uh, you've had the baptism. Your baptism counts. What you need is faith. What we all need is faith. Faith in Jesus. Um, I'm also conscious that perhaps there's another reason why people sometimes say to me, I feel like I'd like to be baptised again. And I think it's that they rightly want to celebrate publicly uh, what may be their newfound faith or their rediscovered faith. And they want to testify to the goodness of Jesus before the church, before perhaps their family and their friends, and say, this is what the Lord has done for me. And I want to say amen to that. We need to hear more of those stories. Uh, I love it, hearing Christian stories. Uh, and when someone comes to faith who has never been baptised, it is true, isn't it, that quite often those two things go together, the testimony and the baptism. But I think I'd also want to say that they don't have to happen at the same moment. And if you've already been baptised, there's nothing to stop you testifying to the Lord. To some extent, it's what confirmation can give us the opportunity for, especially for those who are baptised as babies, that kind of moment for a public statement. But we don't have to do it quite as formally as that. Again, uh, I recognise that there are Christians in other churches, and there are probably some at St Luke's, who take a slightly different view on whether or not we should baptise children at all. Um, and we'll talk about that some more next week. Um, but I wanted to start off by saying this is uh, where we are coming from as a church, because this is how the Church of England understands baptism, and these are some of the places in the Bible which leads us to that. So baptism is once, because it speaks of washing away our sins and being raised from the dead, to new life in Jesus, things that once we receive them are ours forever and can never be taken away. Um, if we were to start to do repeated baptisms, the danger is that we would be communicating to people that you may need to keep coming back to faith and remove the assurance that we really are saved. That sense of fresh start is there once and for all. So we'll come back to the practicalities next week. And uh, I I'm hoping that this will be a short series which prompts questions and conversation. And so 
If you've got one now, I'm looking forward to talking about it over coffee in a few minutes' time. But let me finish again with those words of Peter. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that your promises to us in Jesus Christ are that our sin is washed away. We are brought from death to life. We thank you for the sign that you have given us that this is true. The washing of baptism, which symbolizes that flooding of our hearts by your Spirit. And so we pray for one another that you would equip us by that same Spirit to live out our faith in full assurance that you will bring us to the end. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And uh, we are going to sing. And the hymn that we're going to sing, never know what tune we're going to get for this one, we'll wait and see, is, O Jesus, I have promised to serve thee to the end. So do stand as we sing.